right. I think we have people trickling in, but while they're doing that, maybe I can just lay the agenda for the call today. We're having a pretty casual conversation about stablecoins and DeFi, more specifically decentralized stablecoins and DeFi. And it's great to be joined by Publius, who's the creator of Beanstalk Farms. I've also got Maud here, who's uh, speaking on behalf of Beanstalk Farms as well. And myself, Sam, who I'm, I'm, I lead the growth at Liquidity. And it's just going to be a casual conversation about the need for stablecoins in DeFi, why decentralization is very important, and also to give an insight into some of the stuff that the Beanstalk team is working on or has been working on for the past couple of months. Thank you, Sam, uh, for having us. Uh, we look forward to this uh, conversation. And, and just to clarify, Beanstalk Farms is the organization that's working on the development of Beanstalk. Beanstalk, the protocol, uh, is uh, you know uh, the protocol itself, and that's founded by by Publius. Perfect. Thanks for clarifying. Cool. I guess we have a couple of people who have already joined in, so I guess uh, we can begin. Uh, thanks, both. Uh, for joining. I guess what we can start off with, and I think considering in light of recent events with tornado cash and, and everything that's happening is, you know, what's the need for stable coins in DeFi? Now, in, I can go ahead and provide my insights. Uh, I think, you know, stable coins provide uh, a preservation of buying power in the near term and, you know, it's for me uh, the most important thing that it really provides is the bridge between traditional finance and crypto markets because you know activities like borrowing lending fine and all that it's it's not it for us who have been involved in crypto for a while it's it's a normal thing but then if you want to get new users to join the crypto revolution then there is a need for some sort of stability um in addition to that what you're seeing in kind of the developing world now is you know uh Foreign currencies against the dollar are, has, has lost so much value in the last year or so. And then you're seeing it as a, it's a store of value in a lot of cases as well uh, for people. So I definitely see, you know, the importance of stable coins at DeFi. It's, I feel like, you know, DeFi definitely needs stable coins uh, just for those two reasons alone. But on top of that, you also have a lot of these uh payment merchants and just general payment in crypto itself where, you know, merchants won't accept volatile currency that fluctuate wildly on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's the importance of stable coins. And that's what I guess both our protocols are working towards. I think what would be great is, Publius, if we could hear your thoughts as to, you know, why you feel stable coins are so vital to DeFi and also per perhaps provide some thoughts of your own um, as well. Certainly, and thank you for having us, Sam. So we tend to come at things from an economics first perspective. And if you look at the structure of DeFi, what is DeFi? Decentralized finance. Decentralized finance is a, it's a, a system where it's really a question of the least common denominator. So using decentralized primitives is only really as practical as your least decentralized primitive that you're 
relying on, if that makes sense. So at the end of the day, what all of us are working on, as you alluded to, is the the construction of a decentralized, permissionless, uh, global internet-based economy. But the there is a a fundamental problem with the current structure of stablecoins today. It's really two separate uh, problems as we see it. And the first problem, uh, which both Liquidity and Beanstalk address directly, is the current centralization of the major stable coins. And we can talk about the other uh, economic related issue, but if you think about the, the centralization of USDC, Tether, and Binance USD, which are the three largest stable coins by market cap, they're all centralized. Uh, if we go back to the concept of using decentralized finance, it's only as practical as the weakest link in that, in, in that system. Uh, as you said, it's impractical for businesses, whether they're merchants or other businesses, to use uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum because of their excess volatility as their main currency to denominate their business in. And therefore, there's a need for if businesses want to use decentralized financial primitives, there's a need for a decentralized uh, unit of account uh, at a minimum and a medium of exchange at a minimum, whether you get to store values, another question. Uh, but at a minimum, you need uh, a unit of account and a medium of exchange with low volatility in order to facilitate uh, the overall adoption of decentralized finance. And so both Liquidity and Beanstalk uh, are protocols that are built from first principles on uh, to be in, as permissionless as possible. And the original Beanstalk uh, bean pool was a bean ETH pool. Uh, similarly, liquidity is uh, only allows ETH as the collateral. That's because ETH is the most decentralized and permissionless asset on the Ethereum network, which makes it very attractive to build on top of. And currently, Beanstalk has a Bean 3 curve pool, but uh, the goal is to relaunch a Bean ETH pool in the next couple of uh, weeks or maybe a month or month or two. So uh, that's maybe the starting place. And then there's a second area, which is, the switch from collateral to credit based, which is maybe the main difference between liquidity and Beanstalk that we can talk about uh, as well, if that's interesting. But uh, just to, to answer your question about why decentralized stable coins are so important, I think uh, I think that 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 does it for now. No, that's a very good point, and I think it also uh, it's up to us as uh, kind of leaders in the space to to talk about this stuff to, for new users who come to the space. You know, I think uh, there is this trilemma that everyone mentions about scalability, hex stability, and decentralization. And it's oftentimes, I guess, the nature of crypto bull markets and whatnot, that people just forget about the decentralized aspect of things just because they see the crazy APRs or APYs. And, you know, it's, it's kind of events like tornado, what happened in tornado and, uh, that remind you, I guess, of like the importance of uh, decentralization and the fact that, you know, if you have a stable coin that cannot be seized or frozen, if you have collateral that cannot be seized or frozen, you know, that's that's uh, uh, components that are quite essential and important in uh, in Web3 and in, this, uh, in, in decentralized finance. So I guess, you know, one thing that I've, I've had a thought about uh, 
on a personal level as well as, you know, do, do you think it makes sense to have centralized issuers uh, of stable coins on decentralized primitives and platforms? Now, my opinion is, I think at this point, there is still a scale with what I, with what I mentioned earlier about the trilemma of scalability, flexibility, and decentralization. Obviously, with the decentralized stables, there is, you know, the scalability aspect of things is something that, you know, we need to work on. And there's still some, there's no magic bullet once uh, stable that fits all in that, in that scenario. But it also is something that, you know, another side of me thinks, you know, should we try to kind of uh, innovate on that front more and more and let other DAOs and protocols know about decentralized uh, stable coins and, you know, be, make that an educational piece for everyone uh, and move away from centralized issuers as much as possible. So it'd be cur- I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that as well. Like, does it make sense to have centralized stable coins and like decentralized platforms and primitives or what's your take on that? We'd, we'd, be, we'd be interested to hear that. So one thing we would say is that the market tends to know best. And so the fact that there is, at the moment, the vast majority of stablecoins are centralized stablecoins, that is meaningful to us. And, you know, to, to answer your question as to whether they should exist or whether they should continue to exist, the short answer is they will almost certainly continue to exist because what they serve is they serve a strong role as a bridge between the physical world and the digital world or the, the, the network that, that they're issuing stable coins on. And so even though the stable coins aren't great to use for decentralized business activity, they are really good for bridging the value of dollars on chain. And so the way Beanstalk works is uh, in its most basic form, the Oracle compares, for example, that's not how it currently works, but the most basic example would be comparing the Bean ETH pool, which doesn't currently exist, with the USDC ETH pool uh, ratio over time. And the concept is that because USDC is a very strong and stable uh, dollar, even if it's uh, not really permissionless, uh, in doing so, Beanstalk can, without any direct exposure to USDC, because it's USDC trading against ETH on Uniswap, for example, or even a permissioned uh, ex- decentralized exchange, uh, Beanstalk could still determine the price of a dollar on chain. So there is some value there. Now, to answer your second point about scalability and what we're all doing here, uh, we do believe that Beanstalk, because it uses credit instead of collateral, can issue uh, enough stable coins to meet infinite demand because the credit of the protocol can expand infinitely. And so when we think about where, where DeFi is going, there is sort of a nuanced take here, which is that uh, if the bean supply grows uh, infinitely, and let's call it not just to the, to the tens of billions where USDC currently is, but to the hundreds of billions or trillions of beans, uh, at some scale, the Oracle derived from the value of USDC ETH uh, at some point becomes manipulable. And so at that point, there is a question of the scalability of a decentralized permissionless Oracle. And at that point, maybe you need a, a different Oracle system to, to scale with, with a protocol like Beanstalk, but uh, certainly see there being a symbiotic relationship between Beanstalk and protocols like USDC 
even if USDC wants to permission who is using the stablecoin on chain, it may be very few people are using the stablecoin on chain, but just the fact that it is on chain serves a value to a protocol like Beanstalk or a protocol like Liquidity that is trying to uh, derive the value of a dollar uh, or, or more in particular, derive the value of uh, a bean or uh, LUSD compared to a dollar or ETH compared to a dollar. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what would be good is, I, I guess, the approach that Beanstalk takes, it's it's quite different from other decentralized stables in the sense that, you know, you guys use credit instead of collateral to create this price stability relative to its peg. If I, uh, And also, what? how would you explain, like, let's say, Beanstalk to, if you were to do a TLDR for people who want a quick intro into Bean, like, what what would be your take for that? Because I think it's it's quite different to let's say us at Liquidity, where we're fully collateralized by Ether, and you know that's how we work. It's pretty straightforward. But since it's credit, I guess is a very new concept to many. If you could do a quick TLDR of how Bean works, how it maintains its peg, I think that would that'd be very helpful. Sure. So fundamentally, instead of having collateral backing the value of the stable coin of Beanstalk, which is Bean, Beanstalk instead uh, uses its credit to create price stability. So to juxtapose it against Liquidity, which is like an optimal, or it's an optimal implementation of a CDP style stable coin where you have the Ether locked up, the, that's collateral that's totally decentralized and the value of the LUSD issued against the CDP uh, is always going to remain in excess of the value of the outstanding. Uh, the value of the ETH in the CDP is always going to be in excess of the value of the outstanding LUSD. And therefore, uh, you have price stability. Now, instead of having collateral, which creates the price stability, Beanstalk uses credit. So anytime the price of a bean is too low, Beanstalk tries to borrow beans from the market. And by borrowing beans from the market, Beanstalk can remove beans from the market and decrease the supply. And over time, assuming it decreases the supply enough, uh, Beanstalk can eventually return the bean price to its peg. So in short, instead of having collateral, the main thing that creates price stability is the credit of the protocol, the ability of the protocol to borrow beans from the market whenever there's excess supply on the market. Does that make sense? And then obviously... Uh, because it doesn't have uh, any any collateral, it can mint new beans when there's excess demand. So when the price is too high, Beanstalk can mint beans in order to return the price back to a dollar. Uh, and when the price is too low, Beanstalk tries to borrow enough beans to return the price back to a dollar. No, it, it definitely does. Um, I think I think it's a it's a novel concept. I think it's uh, I don't know of any other decentralized tables out there who have a similar credit system in place in terms of uh, keeping the peg intact. Um, and it's, you know, it's at least uh, for me as a decentralization maxi, I guess it's at least a novel concept that's trying something new. That's, you know, not, not going for the centralized wrapper uh, uh, or centralized kind of uh, way of going about having a stable coin. Um, one thing that we know we at Liquidity get asked often, and also would be interesting to hear your take on it, is also the value of immutability in a protocol. 
as as many probably know, liquidity is immutable as a protocol. What that means is that there are no changes to the protocol that can be made. Whatever you see on liquidity protocol right on the liquidity protocol right now, that is how it's going to be. Uh, and that's you know, it. We have algorithmic governance that's there instead of human governance. We have created the system from the ground up so that it's completely de- decentralized in terms of front ends and whatnot. And we also have a liquidation process in place where it's uh, it's all instant in that sense. And that's how we've made the system from the first place so that it's immutable. Now, I would like to hear your thought on on the immutability aspect of liquidity and also you know, what your take is. Uh, uh, in regards to immutability, like, do you feel that's uh, a key component of decentralization, or do you feel like you know there should still be there are layers of decentralization? It depends on what you, I guess, want to value more um, in terms of control and, and and upgradability. It'd be good to hear that. Well, I think that as a starting point, it's worth noting that Beanstalk is not immutable. Beanstalk is upgradable. And the on-chain governance that Beanstalk had in place uh, from the time it was deployed in August of 2021 until when it was exploited in April of 2022 uh, is a testament to the risks of not having immutable contracts. Now, similarly, there are risks associated with having immutable contracts, but in the case of Beanstalk, the fact that it was mutable uh, was part of uh, the 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 issue now, now I think one thing that's really commendable about liquidity is that you guys have continued to innovate on top of the protocol despite the immutability of the base layer and so you look at something like chicken bonds and that's a real testament to how having certain things that cannot be changed and are fixed uh, creates long-term stability and security and a Lindy effect, and also uh, can can lead to some cool thoughts and innovations. So uh, there's nothing there's nothing bad to be said about immutability, other than the frictions around uh, upgrading things that are not uh, perfect. And in the case of liquidity, as we were saying before, it's a, an optimal implementation of a CDP. Uh, perhaps with the exception of the fact that there's a fee to mint the LUSD. Uh, but the concept is that there wasn't really, and at that point, CDPs had been something that is, had been created for a while and liquidity was a major uh, step up in terms of the, the decentralization and collateral ratio of a, 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 an Ethereum native CDP. And was, the fact that it was done in an immutable fashion speaks to the, the fact that the CDP market was pretty developed at that point. In the case of something like Beanstalk, where, as you said, Beanstalk is very new uh, in many regards, uh, and, and we, we expect there to be a, a need to continue to upgrade Beanstalk for the foreseeable future, uh, it's much harder to work around immutable contracts. And so while immutability is, I think, the ideal or something to work towards, it's not something that is super possible if if there's a lot of innovation happening in a short period of time. So there's a trade-off there. I think in general, uh, we think immutability is is the goal. But uh, speaking factually or, or practically, Beanstalk is implemented using EIP two five three five, which 
doesn't really support immutability. So uh, the reality is that uh, Beanstalk will remain upgradable for the foreseeable future. No, that's fine. And I think that's, that's one thing about, you know, what I want to mean by, you know, the trilemma it's, uh, it's scalability, decentralization, and also kind of retaining the peg. I guess it's, it depends on, you know, I guess there are levels to decentralization as well. And ultimately the end goal is immutability, but as I guess as an industry, the, the thing that I want to reiterate is that maybe you, we just not forget that, I guess. And it's, it's great that at least, you know, that that's still something that you guys have on top of mind at, at some point, uh, even if it's not in the near future, probably down the line. Um, yeah. I, I think there's something to be said about the difference between permissionlessness and decentralization, right? And yeah. in particular, you can have decentralization uh, and you can have permissionlessness, but I think that the goal and what, one of the things that immutability helps create is systems that are permissionless and decentralized by nature that are hard to move away from that, right? Whereas you look at uh, something like uh, the merge right now, and there's a lot of open questions around uh, the future centralization of the network, right? So you have something that's highly decentralized right now and highly permissionless right now, but over time it's unclear how that will be retained. Whereas if you have a protocol that is unlikely to be changed, uh, it's 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 a it, at the end of the day, the real thing to optimize around is what are we collectively trying to create. And whether, whether you've created enough at a base layer to say, okay, this is done and lock it in relative to upgrading it to facilitate whatever's necessary. And if you're going to keep upgrading your network or your protocol uh, in a decentralized fashion, there's always going to be some core questions around whether the principles that led to the original permissionlessness and decentralization are going to remain intact. And that's something that is constantly kept in mind as we continue to develop Beanstalk as a DAO. And uh, while we're not actively engaged in the development of Ethereum, we we recognize that it's something that remains a, a priority for a lot of those that are involved in the development of Ethereum. And uh, that's very important. So I uh, think that immutability is like the, the, the perfect implementation. But again, uh, because a lot of this tech is still being developed in real time, it's hard to have immutability. Absolutely. Uh, one thing I was curious about is obviously at Liquidity we use uh, liquidations, and, you know, ETH for price stability. How about for Beanstalk since it's uncollateralized? How do you maintain the price stability and with the credit system? It'd be good if you could shed a little bit of light on that. Uh, I think for the audience as well, that'd be good. So there's a couple different layers at this point in time to the Beanstalk peg maintenance and the Let's talk about first where the price is derived from. The price of a bean is derived from the liquidity pools that it trades in. So what's a bean worth? Well, it's worth whatever you can get for it. Now, why is there any liquidity for for beans or liquidity being provided to trade against beans? Uh, that's because Beanstalk offers interest in the form of new bean mints to depositors of liquidity pool tokens. And so you can provide liquidity and uh, liquidity pools that beans trade in that are whitelisted for deposit. You can deposit them in Beanstalk 
And by depositing them, you receive stock, which is the governance token, uh, and stock entitles you to a portion of uh, future bean mints. Uh, you also receive seeds. Seeds entitle you to more stock over time. That's related to some of the beanstalk native incentives, which we won't get into at the moment. So th there is some liquidity trading against beans. And the baseline mechanism, the credit uh, of the system, is that if there's too many beans, let's use a base example, even though there's no bean USDC pool, let's just say uh, the goal is for the ratio of beans and the ratio of USDC in the pool to be equivalent. Uh, right now there's a bean three curve pool, so it's uh, beans to the ratio of three curve times the three curve virtual price. But the concept is if there's too many beans in the pool over the previous hour, Beanstalk will try to borrow beans from the market in order to remove the beans from the supply and return the, the price to its peg. And the point is, if you assume that the market is at some sort of equilibrium, if people are going to lend beans to the protocol, they need to buy the beans in order to lend them to the protocol. So if the protocol is credit worthy and people are willing to lend to the protocol, the protocol should over time be able to borrow enough beans to return the price to its peg. So that's the core base peg maintenance mechanism that gives beans their value. There's liquidity incentivized to be provided because of the seniorage if the price is too high. And then when the price is too low, uh, the protocol tries to borrow beans to remove them from the supply. And Beanstalk, uh, if you lend beans to Beanstalk, uh, you receive debt from the protocol. The debt of the protocol are called pods, which are first in, first out, zero coupon bonds without a fixed maturity. So whenever the, the ratio of beans to USDC, again, in theory, uh, there's not, let's say now there's not enough beans in the pool, the price is too high, uh, Beanstalk can mint new beans in order to try to return the bean price to its peg. And when new beans are minted, the distribution of beans are, uh, beans are divided between uh, creditors, people that hold debt from the protocol, and depositors, people that have deposited uh, liquidity pool tokens or beans in, in the protocol. And so that's the, primary, uh, that's the primary setup. Now, there's a second layer, which at this point has become another major layer of peg maintenance called convert. So the concept is, and going back to immutability, uh, convert was something that was introduced in December, five months after the protocol was initially deployed, after there was a lot of uh, data around peg maintenance. And the way convert works is that you have all these depositors that have liquidity pool tokens and they have beans. And in short, when the price of a bean is too high, uh, when, when there's not enough beans in the pool, anyone that has deposited beans in the protocol, they can convert their deposited beans into deposited liquidity pool tokens, which has the effect of adding beans to the liquidity pool and lowering the price back to its peg. And vice versa, when the price is too low, meaning there are too many beans in the pool, uh, depositors can remove beans from the liquidity pool and in effect return the bean price back to its peg. So convert functions as a secondary mechanism from an economics perspective, but perhaps a primary mechanism from a, a practical market behavior, where if you look at the on-chain activity, uh, a lot of uh, peg maintenance actually happens from converts at the moment, as opposed to from 
debt issuance, which speaks to the improved efficiency of the peg maintenance model as a result of the ability to upgrade the protocol. So that's really uh, the nuts and bolts of how peg maintenance works at a high level. I know nuts and bolts at a high level is sort of oxymoronic, but there's a lot of layers to the peg maintenance system. So we can go a lot deeper into how and anything works, but that's, that's like the macro picture of what's going on. Uh, thanks for that. I think, I mean, it seems like, a, you know, the three functions that you would expect uh, from a decentralized stable are kind of hit with that, I guess, when you think about censorship resistance, liquidity and stability, it seems like uh, with the, with all those different facets that you guys use um, seems to, seems to provide all three of those things, which is, which is good. Um one thing I think for both uh, liquidity, the liquidity community, and also for the beanstalk uh, farms community, which would be in, uh, exciting, and I guess uh, you know uh, something that both our communities would look forward to is this bean LUSD pool uh, that uh, we've heard about. So, uh, from my understanding, there's a you know there's an proposal, or I'm not sure if you've already done it, there's a whitelist for LUSD um, in the silo. Um, could you give some information as to when we can expect it and you know what's the, what the uh, expectation is regarding that? Sure. So the, there's a couple things to be said. One is that prior to beans being exploited in April, I think it might have been in March, uh, the bean LUSD pool was originally deployed and whitelisted uh, in the silo. And what that meant is that uh, people could provide liquidity to the pool and deposit the LP tokens in the protocol. Now, the liquidity pool had started to grow and had uh, a little over a million dollars in liquidity, I think, at the time of the exploit. Uh, but it, looking back, the the whitelisting of LUSD, the bean LUSD pool was something that we we thought was a great decision in hindsight. Uh, and that's because of the immutability, the decentralization, uh, and the strong peg maintenance of LUSD, even though it's uh, pegged between a dollar and a dollar ten cents, the reality is that doesn't matter to Beanstalk at all because Beanstalk wasn't deriving the price of a bean from LUSD. It had its own uh, as we've been talking about, a separate uh, way to measure the price. And so it was just a question of decentralized liquidity. And we felt that the LUSD pool was a really nice complement to the Bean ETH pool because uh, to some extent, you have it, if you have a significant portion of the liquidity uh, trading against beans that are volatile assets like Ethereum, then you need a significant more, significantly more amount of conversions happening in order to maintain the peg tightly. Whereas if you have beans trading against LUSD, there's a lot less uh, active peg maintenance necessary and a lot less implied volatility in the bean price. So to some extent, uh, that's a good thing. On, an, on the other hand, it's nice to have the protocol deal with natural volatility. So uh, I think from that perspective, right now, the, the goal is to roll out a bean ETH pool in the coming month or so. Uh, I don't have an exact timeline for that. And then hopefully uh, LUSD will be shortly thereafter. And then uh, one of, the, one of the, the, the things that has always excited us uh, is, is that Beanstalk uh, is able to support 
a really high level of composability on top of Ethereum. And so uh, through the creation of a, a liquidity pipeline uh, to Beanstalk, uh, at some point, hopefully soon, people will be able to take their Ethereum and uh, deposit it into a liquidity trove, mint LUSD against it, provide LUSD into a Bean LUSD pool, and then deposit those LP tokens in Beanstalk in a single transaction. And so it's unclear on exactly when all of that will be possible, but that's some of the really cool composability that Beanstalk is able to support. And uh, it's, it's certainly a priority given, uh, given how much we like liquidity. No, that, I, I think that's music to the, the liquidity community's ears and LUSD fans as well. I guess if you have one single transaction, which allows you to do all that, um, Gas efficiency, obviously, at this time, demand is a bit low on the Ethereum mainnet, but obviously, on that front as well, that'd be that'd be that's very cool. Uh, is that something you see some, sometime in Q4, or would you say it's still uh, you have no really uh, set date so far? No set date, but uh, you know, hopefully, sometime before the end of the year. That's not a that's not unreasonable, but not sure exactly. Cool. One one other thing that you know that's uh, uh, we'd like to know more on, I, I guess, is the zero fee AMM that you guys have. Zero fee AMM. That is when you just hear the term zero fee, it kind of uh, perks your ears. So, could you shed a little bit of light on as to what that is and how it can offer no fees? Sure. So, one of the really interesting things about Beanstalk is that Beanstalk is able to attract liquidity through seniorage, right? We go back to the original reason why people are depositing assets in the protocol is to participate in the seniorage. When, when new beans are minted, some of those beans are distributed to the depositors. And so the starting point is that Beanstalk can attract liquidity. Uh, prior to the exploit, Beanstalk had attracted like $80 million in non Beanstalk native assets, uh, and at the time it had issued like 120 million beans. So when you talk about a significant amount of liquidity, uh, Beanstalk was certainly attracting it. And the point is it was attracting it through seniorage, not through trading fees in, in the AMMs that beans were trading in. In fact, the trading fees that are in the AMMs that beans trade in are really the primary obstacle to peg maintenance. Because if you think about it, when, uh, when, when market makers are buying beans below peg and selling them above peg, uh, the profit uh, is significantly eaten into by any sort of uh, trading fee. So on Uniswap, the 30 basis point trading fee makes it such that buying beans above 99.7 uh, is not uh, – it's like pay, you're paying every, – every bean you buy above 99.7, you're paying above a dollar. And vice versa, any bean you sell above a dollar and a uh, dollar and thirty cents, uh, you're 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 selling it below a dollar. That makes peg maintenance really tricky, uh, or or high friction, perhaps is a better way to say it. And even on curve, that four basis point uh, fee is pretty pretty expensive when it comes to peg maintenance. So the concept is, given that Beanstalk is attracting liquidity through seniorage, and it really to Beanstalk, the trading fee is a cost. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to deploy uh, DEX without any sort of trading fee. And in doing so, it should support peg maintenance significantly. 
Thanks for that. Um, one other question. I guess this is more, I, I, I don't think this is specifically Beanstalk, but also uh, I, I guess it's related to Beanstalk is this generalized marketplace uh, that you've, you're built on top of Beanstalk. I, I believe it's called Root. Uh, what is Root, I guess, is, is my first question. I think I saw an announcement about it a couple of weeks ago. But if you could give a explanation as to what Root is, how it will help facilitate uh, uh, a relationship between Beanstalk Farms and Root as well, it, it'd be good for us to know. Sure. So Root is something that's particularly exciting to us. Root is the first private company to raise money to build stuff on top of Beanstalk. And so they announced a couple of weeks ago uh, that they raised something like $9 million in a seed round to develop prediction markets uh, and certain derivatives on top of Beanstalk. And to be, to be frank, that is in and of itself sort of uh, very exciting that there are uh, other entrepreneurs that have started to notice Beanstalk and recognize the potential to uh, build cool things on top of it. And we're pretty excited about it. So what exactly is Root? Uh, well, Root is uh, a company, a protocol. I, I don't know exactly what it is, uh, but they're building they're building some cool prediction markets on top of Beanstalk. So what does that actually mean? So, and why is that, why is this important? So right now there's lots of different prediction markets on Ethereum and they all suffer from really low liquidity. The reason for that is a similar problem to the problem that's plaguing a lot of DeFi, which is that the opportunity costs associated with using the protocol are really high because you have to lock up collateral. Uh, there's a, an opportunity cost associated with locking up that capital. And in particular, if you look at the borrowing costs on stable coins, that makes it really expensive. So if you're going to borrow stable coins uh, to make markets, or you could just uh, lend out your stable coins instead of making markets, uh, that puts sort of a floor at the required profitability necessary to provide liquidity on these prediction markets. And that floor of profitability uh, created by the opportunity cost makes it such that these markets can't compete with Vegas. And therefore, there's nothing, there's no real economic activity happening uh, in DeFi in general and prediction markets in particular. And so if you look at Beanstalk, uh, if you have assets deposited in the silo uh, in the protocol, you are receiving interest payments uh, as the protocol grows. And so in practice, you don't want to withdraw your assets from the protocol and stop receiving interest, you want to start to be able to use your assets that are deposited within the protocol and do lots of different things with them. So a, a very basic but very obvious use case for what to do with your deposits that are earning interest is to start betting your deposits on different things. So uh, uh, different types of prediction markets that Root will hopefully uh, develop and, and incubate uh, to facilitate the use of deposits that are earning interest, that is something that we think will create a lot more liquidity around prediction markets and is hopefully serve as a proof of concept that markets built on top of Beanstalk uh, fundamentally solve the opportunity cost associated with current DeFi protocols.
That's very interesting. So uh, I guess it could be a prediction market. I, I would assume that you could. I, I remember reading, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also a potential for uh, buying or selling NFT represented goods. Uh, if if uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I also read that. Is, is that something that the uh, root will eventually kind of support on it too? Or I read that too. I'm less familiar with the. Uh the inner workings of those plans, but I think that there's a lot of good stuff happening. So, cool. uh, you know, one of the cool things is that the Beanstalk uh, ecosystem and economy is growing so much so that uh, there's lots of questions that uh, at this point we, we don't really have good answers for, and we got to defer to a lot of the different people building different things within the, the Beanstalk ecosystem. So uh, perhaps that these are questions better geared towards uh, people working on route directly. Absolutely. Well, regardless, it's a it's a it's a nice uh, appreciation of the of the beanstalk uh, um, ecosystem for them to be building on top of it. Right. I think those those were the main questions and you know topics that we wanted to discuss. I guess what we'd be doing now is have a quick quick Q and A session. So. If any of you have a question, please raise your hand and then I'll invite you to speak. You can ask myself or Publius or even the Beanstalk uh, marketing team any questions. So seems like we have a pretty quiet crowd today. Or a pretty clear conversation. Yeah, I'm leading towards that as well. <laughs> Well, I guess there are no questions from many of the audience. Let me just check to see if there's any. Ah, there is one. So from Jay, let me just give you approval to speak, and you can unmute your mouth, uh, mic and ask a question. Oh, uh, I have a question. Go ahead. Unmute yourself and ask. Great. Uh, thank you so much. Um, so I'm pretty new to uh, Beanstalk, uh, and I've just been reading through the documentation. And um, I was learning about the pods system. And on the website, it seems like there's quite a few pods in line. Um, are there any concerns about like maybe Beanstalk taking on too much debt? That's a fabulous question. And to some extent, it's the ultimate question, right? Because if the protocol issues too much debt and people view it as no longer credit worthy because it's too indebted, uh, that would basically be the undoing of the peg maintenance model. So to some extent, uh, and this is something we hadn't previously spoken about, the way the protocol works is that it optimizes not just around the price of a bean, but also the debt level of the protocol. And if you look at the history of Beanstalk, uh, there's a couple things to note about this exact point. The, the most important of which is that from the inception of the protocol until, I don't actually remember what month, hold on, I'm going to the, to the Beanstalk website to check out the analytics uh, to try to get the exact, uh, the exact rate. But hold on. If you look at the pod rate, which is the Beanstalk debt level, uh, from the time Beanstalk launched until 
January of 2021. So for like six months, the pod rate just went up straight up and the protocol continued to take on debt, despite the fact that it was maintaining peg, it was not uh, efficient at uh, issuing debt and paying off debt in an effective manner. So it was unsustainable. Now the pod rate grew uh, in order uh, significantly to like uh, 1300%. And then it sort of flattened out and grew up to like 1600% in March when in March it started to decline for the first time. And it declined for a couple different reasons. Uh, it stopped increasing as the result of a couple different beanstalk improvement proposals that were implemented. But the concept is that it wasn't until March that the protocol really demonstrated an ability to deleverage and pay off debt. And once that started to happen in March, that coincided with uh, a major growth cycle that beanstalk went through and was in the midst of until it was exploited. And so since the exploit, uh, there's two things that have happened. One, Beanstalk issued a lot of debt in order to recapitalize itself. And two, the bean supply was cut down significantly. So the result is that the, the, the amount of outstanding debt increased and the bean supply decreased, which made the protocol even more indebted. And to some extent, Jay, this really speaks to, well, how much debt and what what debt level is too high no one really knows it really is the ultimate question but there's something very comforting in our opinion about the fact that the protocol had after replant as high as like a 3000% pod rate and now it's stabilized around a 2500% pod rate that is encouraging to us and the concept is well is a 5000% pod rate sustainable is a 10000% pod rate sustainable uh no one knows, uh, but the the higher the pod rate that Beanstalk is able to sustain itself at, uh, the more comfort people should be able to feel whenever Beanstalk ultimately does deleverage and uh, get back down to a, a much healthier, more more obviously sustainable pod rate. So uh, 25x is pretty egregious, but nonetheless, it speaks to the, the potential of the protocol and people viewing it as credit worthy, despite its uh, many issues and problems and the exploit and that's very encouraging gotcha thank you so much for that detailed response um and yeah i'm i'm a big fan of decentralized stable coins so i think you know both what y'all are doing at beanstalk and liquidity is really great so thank you all so much thanks for your question jay and thanks for that response uh publius Cool. I don't see any other questions uh, from anyone else, so I guess we can wrap it up. Thank you to the Beanstalk team and all of you guys for joining the spaces today. Um, I hope you learned a lot from, from the explanation that the Beanstalk team have provided and also from ourselves on the importance of decentralized stablecoins. And if that's all, have a lovely weekend.